everybody welcome to episode 324 of the at percussion podcast with me today we have our always good buddy ben charles who i just got to see the other day yesterday hey caleb how's it going it's good it's good to see you in person yeah and now i'm i'm with ksenia here now it's a it's a podcast tour for me gotta go see carly yeah 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 and with us guest hosting today is our old buddy tracy wiggins haven't seen you in a while, Tracy, but how's it going? It's going all right. We're in the mad dash to the end of the semester right now. I feel you. I feel you. And before we introduce our guest today, um, as you know by if you clicked on the title, it says Kaylee Brooke. Uh, but before we get to her introduction, we do have a little bit of history. This episode releases on April 14th. And in following with Ben's stock, he had balked or knocked, and then there's Jennifer. Carly just did Beethoven or Beethoven on the last one. <laughs> this is insane. Um, so today we have Handle Scandals because uh, on this date, <laughs> April, 4, April 14th in 1759, uh, George Frederick Handel died. So here, I've, uh, it's not going to be as involved as Ben's was uh, two times ago, but I'm going to throw you four scandals that Handle may or may not have been involved in. And y'all let me know uh, which ones are real and which ones are not. All right. So scandal one, he threatened to throw a soprano out the window for complaining. Scandal two, he verbally assaulted the prince and princess of Wales when they were late to his performance. Uh, scandal three, he used to serve his, uh, his guests bad wine and then sneak into the other room and drink the good wine while pretending that he had a spark of creativity and he had to go write it down. And scandal four, he once threw uh, young composer's music out the window because he didn't like it. So I don't know, but if any of those are true, I like him. <laughs> any, any thoughts on, on which one's true? He sounds fun. Sounds like a fun guy. <laughs> They're all true. I was going to say, they seem like they all are because they're was, The verbally precise. assaulting one sounded legitimate, but the wine thing, I didn't think you'd be creative to make that up either. So That's what I was yeah. thinking too. Like maybe all of them, but the wine. I yeah. feel like I'd heard the one about the soprano before. Yeah, he threatened to throw a soprano out the window and withhold her wages because she was complaining about the difficulty of the aria. Oh, but who yeah. hasn't done that? Yeah, right. Um, Rude. <laughs> uh, he did verbally assault the prince and princess of Wales, which is a pretty bravado move to make uh, for being late to his oratorio premiere at the Carlton House. He did serve his guest unremarkable wine while sneaking into another room to drink expensive port under the pretense of creative inspiration. And he once threw a young composer's music out the window and stated, <laughs> because it wanted more air. Um, <laughs> I feel like there needs to be a disclaimer that at percussion does not hold grudges against sopranos or something like that at this point. Yeah. You know, I, I was with a, a group of friends and we were sharing stories about like our, our worst lessons or worst juries. And I, I won't say who the professor was, but there was a professor that after someone played said, well, it's a good thing that composer's dead. So he won't be here to hear your performance. <laughs> Jeez. Brutal. Well, our guest today is Kaylee Brooke. 
uh, a freelance percussion, per percussion performer, educator, and clinician currently living in NYC. Whether she's performing on theater stage with a professional drumline in a pit at a theme park on drum set with a band uh, or for students in a classroom, her versatility in the percussive arts and her mission to bring more visibility to women in percussion is what makes her a unique and in-demand artist today. In 2017, Kaylee made her international touring debut with MEG's Broadway production of Blast, the music of Disney, and toured again with the production in 2019 in the lead percussion role. In 2018, Kaylee performed as a musical actor, performer for Toei Animation's brass entertainment show, One Piece, uh, Oto Otage in Tokyo, Japan. Other notable credits include performances with the Dallas Pops, SeaWorld Entertainment, JMMD Entertainment, Megan Trainer, A.R. Rahman, uh, Valerie Naranjo, and Andy Norell. She has extensive experience in commercial drumming entertainment scene. While living in Texas, she was a member of the Dallas Mavs, the FC Dallas, and the San Antonio Spurs professional drum lines, and was also a drummer for Dynamic Rhythm Entertainment. Her work with DRE included performance for a variety of corporate events, festivals, TV commercials, and nightlife across the street, across, across the state. Sorry, uh, Kaylee has performed in seven countries across three continents and has studied with some of the most renowned artists in the percussion community, holding degrees from University of North Texas and Texas A&M Commerce. She's a member of the Santa Clara Vanguard Drum and Bugle Corps, enjoys teaching, managing her online private lesson studio, and continues her involvement in the marching arts as an active clinician for high school percussion programs across the country. So I could have made yeah. that shorter. That was no, it's long, fine. Sorry. No, it's good. It, re it reads well. Uh, yeah, I always, I always feel weird hearing my bio out loud as well. But yeah, please welcome Kaylee. It's so nice to, to have you on. Yeah, thanks um, for having me. Yeah. So as again, we sometimes we like save the guest introductions and Ksenia got me once about like, oh, you said who the guest was before we introduced them. And it's like, well, they clicked the link, Ksenia. They know at this point the they knew. Yeah, they know who we're talking with. Um, <laughs> but kind of the theme for this episode we put together is the whole concept of entertainment drumlines. And um, it's something that seems so common, but I feel like so few of us know about getting into it. And kind of a starting question. So for me, uh, starting percussion back in, I guess, uh, 99 or 2000 uh, in middle school, for me, it was stomp. Uh, but now a lot of young folks are watching shows like Blast. And that's what got us hooked on percussion and the marching arts as well. Can you kind of speak to your experience working with Blast and, you know, how do you how you got to where you are, you know, working with all these groups and events like SeaWorld and Bush Gardens and et cetera? Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, for me, it was a uh, stomp and blast also when I was a kid. Um, I remember seeing blast uh, live when they came to Texas. I grew up in Texas and um, they came through uh, Dallas or Fort Worth. And um, yeah, I was uh, taken to see that show. I think I was probably nine or 10 years old. Um, and so it was a really cool full circle moment when Blast uh, finally came back around and um, I joined the cast because that was something, a show I'd wanted to be a part of for so long. Uh, so it was really cool uh, to see it actually work out. Um, that was definitely like a dream job situation. Um, but yeah, that um, long story short, that, that came around um, because they were uh, specifically looking for a um, like a certain a certain character or a certain person to fill um, a specific track. They have different 
different percussion tracks in the blast show. Um, and so they were looking for um, someone who was comfortable playing keyboard instruments and also playing a couple like snare drum, like marching snare drum solos. And so they kind of put out a search and um, went through a few rounds of auditions. Um, a lot of it included playing. Um, some of it uh, was like orchestral excerpts. So the, the standard audition repertoire that, you know, all of us know and are used to playing. But uh, most of it was um, like acting, a lot of acting uh, videos for the audition. So that was something that I was still pretty new to. Um, but I thought that was a really cool uh, kind of gateway into more of the theater world, just going through the audition process for BLAST. Um, so yeah, that worked out. And then uh, I flew to Japan like a month later and was there for almost half of the year. And we toured all of Japan. And um, over, I guess, like the next three years, I was kind of bouncing back and forth between the states. I was living in Austin, it was kind of my home base, and then going to Japan um, for blast tours or uh, the One Piece show that you mentioned. Um, so that was a really wild, wild three years. That was right before the pandemic. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how that worked out. Yeah, pre-pandemic. That's the good seems, old days. Yeah, that seems like a <laughs> lifetime ago. Yeah, um, it does. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, you mentioned you mentioned acting. Um, I can't remember who it was that was talking about. You know, they often throw around, are you a percussionist composer or a composer percussionist? And then sometimes I think that works out okay. I feel like oftentimes I see these modern contemporary pieces that call for percussionists to act and they kind of skip over it. And the acting portion is like, ooh, that was, that, that wasn't so great. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. But seeing like a, a Ben and I were at UNT for Chris Dean's tribute. Um, his memorial concert this past yeah. weekend. Yeah. And John Lane. So yeah, yeah. Uh, John Lane played a piece um, where he had to speak and and play frame drum. And yeah, his I don't want to call it acting, but his like performance and acting was uh, pretty amazing. Oh, I'm um, sure I would have loved to see that. Yeah, we just had John and Al here a couple of weeks ago, and yeah, he's phenomenal at that stuff. Yeah, it's it's really crazy. He's he's all invested and in, yeah, really, really I mean, sells it. I, I would go as far as to say you though, even like in a non-theatrical piece, just a marimba solo or snare drum solo or something like so many performances are just so dry because the person's not engaged at all. And I don't think it needs to be this like choreographed thing, but you like watch Evelyn Glennie play a concerto and it's not it's not that it's not boring <laughs> how to say it other than that sure hey kind of skipping ahead a bit just because we mentioned acting um your bio talked about yeah the the musical as, uh musical actor performer aspect for the one piece show and you know the key point with all these shows is you know they're kind of you know they they're educational but they're like entertainment groups you know for the public and and for people to come and enjoy. Um, is there any advice you have for younger, I say younger, like we're talking about five-year-olds, but you know, college-age performers um, who wanna follow a similar path as you? Because it seems like Ben was saying, I have a hard enough time getting someone playing, you know, rhythm song on marimba to come out of their shell and 
like relax. Um, totally. Yeah. Yeah, for, uh, for sure. I uh, talk about this quite a bit, uh, just because in my experience, it's um, like this style of performing. Um, and I guess what I mean by this style is uh, not really in the classical sense, uh, not really like in the academia world. So uh, the style of performance, like as purely like for entertainment purposes um, is kind of foreign to us. So the act of playing our instruments, the act of, um, you know, uh, honing our skills and executing them at a really high level, that is not something that's foreign to us at all. But if you take us out of the classical world and the academia world and you plop us into um, an environment where our audience might not know what a marimba even is, they might have never seen a marimba or, you know, when they hear drums, uh, they just think of drum set. Um, it's definitely, it can be a really foreign and weird experience at first because we're not used to it. Um, so uh, to answer your question, I would, I would say to give these performance opportunities that seem a bit out of your like musician brain comfort zone, um, give these opportunities a shot, uh, even if you're like a little bit, you know, remotely intrigued in it. Um, I would say to give it a shot because uh, you know, like with Midway Entertainment, so like theme park entertainment, um, and you know, with commercial entertainment, so uh, like entertainment drum lines and ensembles like that, um, it just activates so many parts of your brain in addition to the musical side. And you're gonna be challenged in ways that perhaps you aren't necessarily taught in music school. Um, and also like if you come from, for example, like, a drum corps background, you can take what you learned in drum corps, uh, because you're already doing what you do at such a high level. I mean, kids at March drum corps are pros at this point, they're just so good at what they do. You can take those skills um, as a performer and as a musician, and you can apply all of that um, in an entertainment style show like in a commercial entertainment style show. Um, so it's, it's cool to be able to use those skills that you that you use in drum corps and apply it in a different environment. Because a lot of times when most of us age out, like that's it, we move on to something else. Um, so jobs in Midway Entertainment and in commercial entertainment, it just gives you an opportunity to keep using those skills and keep building on them. Um, and it also gives you a chance to, like I said, activate different parts of your brain. Um, and I guess to Ben's point, uh, just it gives you a chance to start focusing on everything outside of what your hands are doing gives you a chance to start focusing on uh you know how am i how am i bringing this performance to life to an audience that doesn't know anything about what i do that's like a totally different experience for us because we're used to playing percussion for percussionists right um and so in this environment we're playing percussion for people that have no idea what percussion even is usually just like everyday people so uh it makes us think about how we're going to execute what we're doing differently uh, because people don't know what flams are they and they don't care what accents and taps are all those things matter to us and we need to execute them um regardless of the audience uh that we're playing for but there's a way that we can do it um in in a way that's like exciting for everyday people they might not know what flams are but when we play them we can play them in a way where people are like wow that's really cool whether or not they know what it is if that makes sense so yeah yeah, you actually just hit on something that um, I talk about a lot when it comes to like the job interview market. 
Um, but it totally applies to this. And you actually said it that when people are applying for like academic positions and stuff like that, um, a great thing that I was taught once is that every single person that's sitting on that committee has a different perspective of, or a different idea of what your job is. Like the flute teacher has an idea of what the percussion teacher is. The trumpet teacher has an idea of what the percussion teacher is, the piano. And I think it's the same thing with our audiences. A lot of times, everybody that comes to our show has a different idea of what they're, what they're going to see when they come to see a percussion performance. And so I think the, the keeping that in mind can definitely help with audience building and audience engagement and everything else. So. Yeah, for sure. It's just kind of um, kind of comes down to just knowing your audience um, and performing with that audience in mind. Because you know, for me, like when I, you know, if I'm gonna play classical literature for a room full of percussionists, um, like you know, at PASIC, for example, uh, it's it's not gonna feel the same, and I'm not gonna approach it the same way I would if I'm you know uh, playing at a theme park and drumming with like different implements like uh non-standard percussion uh implements like knives for example like this halloween style show i did a few months ago um you know <laughs> drumming with knives or an audience full of people that have no idea what what a marimba is and what percussion is in general uh i'm just not going to approach those audiences the same way because they're just their rooms uh full of different people um so i think that's something that maybe gets glossed over a little bit uh, in the academia world, just because we, um, I don't know, there's so much to, to teach as professors and percussion, there's so much to teach, there's so much to cover. Um, sometimes we just don't get to that aspect. Um, but it's, it's really crazy to, to be on the other side of things now, like um, I'm working with JMMD Entertainment and helping direct shows now. And it's, it's really crazy um, working with cast members that are percussionists and we're all, you know, we all have a very specific skill set and um, the cast is very good at what they do, but the act of performing without having like a serious, uh, you know, drumline in the lot face, that is just something that's completely new. And so a lot of the time we spend with these cast members are just like acting sessions and we do, um, it's like many acting classes, you know, and it's just, uh, it's just a new thing for a lot of us because we're just not used to expressing ourselves in that way or, you know, taking what we're, uh, how, how we naturally perform and turning that to a 10, um, depending on like what our character is in the show or who our audience is. Um, so it's just something that we're not really used to. And I think that that's really fascinating. Um, and I've learned a lot uh, just from going through that process myself. Yeah, I got to play when I was living in Vegas. I got to do some entertainment drumline stuff at Hakkasan. And they did the same thing. Like what what we thought was like expressive. They were like, no. It's like, dudes, that's like a three out of ten. Like you have to be right. so over the top. It's just like this person just bought, you know, a thousand dollar bottle of alcohol and they have a team of people escorting it to the table with with you five or six. Like they're, you got to give them what they paid for. So um, exactly. Yeah. Uh, it was, yeah. That's Very, one of the things that uh, working with the trash pandas line, because it's a lot of, it's my students, they do drum line here. They're like serious, like 
drumline kids and stuff. And the first couple of times that we got them together, it was like, no, you have to be so much further over the top than you ever think that you need to be because you've got this huge, we usually play out in the parking lots before the games and stuff like that. We're like, you've got all these people that are standing in line waiting to get into the ball game and stuff like that. And you have to entertain them for however long they're standing out there. Um, you know, cause this is the minor league baseball team here in Huntsville. They're the double a team. And we do a drum line for it, that it's a trash can band, you know, it's right. stomp style uh, trash can group and everything. And so we're like, we have to set the mood for everybody coming into the game that this is going to be fun and entertaining and the first time we tried to do it, they had very stoic, you know, drumline face. We're going to play. And I'm like, no, that's, that's not it. It's y'all. not fun to watch. No. <laughs> and I'm like, you're playing on trash cans in a parking lot. Let's loosen up a little bit here. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's no one like with the tape, you know, like counting ticks. It's just not, it's not that setting, but when that's all, you know, I, um, Tracy, I'm going to show up and do that. <laughs> <laughs> Make a tape of the trash panda drumline. Yeah, I'm going to um, show with my little tape recorder. <laughs> well, it's funny. Sorry, we Kayla, had, you were saying something important. We actually, the first couple of games we played, we had some drumline people come and watch it, and they didn't get it because they were like, well, this isn't, you know, this isn't what we were expecting. And it was like, well, no, because this is a completely different environment. You know, you can't, you can't come into it expecting what you're going to see at like WGI or DCI or something like that. Although I think DCI and WGI are starting to incorporate more of that into performance too. Um, you know, especially with like um, Music City Mystique doing the the country show that they're doing with like washboards and everything else this year. The fact that DCI has gotten rid of like a lot of the shakos and everything like that. So the player, the performers have to be more expressive. It's still not anywhere near the same level, but it is something that's starting to be built into that a little bit more. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because um, yeah, DCI and WGI, the, the way that it's evolving now, it's really becoming like the perfect segue into, um, you know, jobs like Midway Entertainment and commercial, uh, commercial drumming. And that's really cool to see because um, you know, for for kids that are still marching drum corps and still um, participating in WGI, they can they can take those skills that they're learning, like I mentioned earlier, and apply them to um, jobs that are going to pay them to do what they do, and that they're going to pay them to to use those skills and to build on those skills. And um, like we have a lot of cast members now with JMMD that are currently doing shows all over the country. And the money that they're making from these shows, they're using to pay their dues to March Drum Corps. So that's an incentive too, you know, to get, um, to provide jobs for young people that are still wanting to March Drum Corps and still at the age where they can. Um, you know, you can you can make money doing this. And that's that's what I love about entertainment groups like JMMD and, you know, Windish and um, all the other ones that are popping up. Uh, we can we can provide these these kids jobs and they are able to to pay their way to you know march drum corps. Well, and it's I mean it's actually a growing field. I mean there's more and more of these performance opportunities popping up that students aren't told about in college. You know it's very a lot of times it's very you know you're going to go teach or you're preparing for your orchestra, orchestral career or whatever. But I mean. Very you think back to, yeah. yeah, I mean, you think back to like when 
the Detroit Pistons drumline started out as Michigan State University's drumline, mm-hmm. you know, and then the Mavericks line, I think, had a pretty heavy North Texas contingent. Yeah, it's like a lot of UTA, um, yeah. UTA people. Yeah, and um, the, the Cowboys were primarily uh, North Texas um, people at first. But yeah, I mean, it all it stemmed from college kids. So I think there's, there's just there's a there's work out there that students can find you know, on top of things like Cirque du Soleil and Blast and stuff that use similar skill sets as well. Yeah, totally. The, these opportunities are are everywhere, but um, it's, you know, it's kind of coming down to just trying to get the word out um, and and telling these folks that like these jobs do exist and you can get paid to to do what you love to do, um, whether it's, you know, your your participating in midway entertainment for a time and it's you know it's the means to an end to something bigger or if that's what you love and you like making money playing in theme park shows and like that's your bag um it's it's just cool to show people that uh don't necessarily fit like the typical um the typical mold and what comes after college um whether it be like you know landing an orchestral job or a military band job or being a band director. Um, there are so many other avenues that you can take and it's just about getting that word out there. Um, so that's that's been a really fun, fun part about kind of crossing over a little bit into a, more of a director role um, with theme park and entertainment shows is just uh, helping spread the word, you know, that we do have jobs uh, to give these folks that uh, aren't necessarily uh, like drawn to the typical paths that were were preached, you know, uh, in college. It's so funny that still today, like I have students that come in and they think, oh, I guess I'll be a music educator. So that means I'll be a band. So my job options are band director, LA Phil, and there's nothing in between. That's it. Those are the two things I can do. I can teach high school band, or I can be one of the four or five people in the LA Phil. And there's no, (laughs) there's nothing in between there. Right. But we're not, you know, as students, it's, uh, it's pretty rare that you're given other options, you know, like, um, when, when I was, when I was in school, I, I had professors that um, would only talk about those specific career paths. And I was lucky enough to have um, professors like Christopher Dean, actually, that was the one that, you know, kind of helped me see that I, I can make my own path and make my own way. Um, even if it's quote unquote unconventional, like it is possible and it can be done. Um, so it's professors like him, uh, that, you know, really help, uh, help kind of change your mindset or just like show you, show students that, uh, there are more pathways that you can take. It's just kind of rare that we hear that in college, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. I was going to mention, I, I told Christopher Dean's wife about one of my favorite things is that he would dip his toes into unfamiliar waters if if it was things that students were interested in. He was as far from a DCI person as you could ever get. And I remember he started going to a couple of DCI shows. And actually, I think the first show he ever went to was when they were performing his Vespertine formations. Um, (laughs) Just kind of unusual. But uh, I think uh, a lot of the... um, the, this dichotomy Caleb's talking about is like of LA Phil or high school band director, nothing in the middle. I think there there is a certain amount of like maybe parental pressure that like entrepreneurship sounds great until 
you are watching your own child like forge their own career path you're like man i don't know if that's gonna work <laughs> you know like and, and it, it's so like so so amazing you know so great that that it does but kaylee i was gonna ask like maybe you just have the most like progressive wonderfully supportive parents but i like did you ever have <laughs> Were your parents ever concerned that like, oh, I don't know, Kaylee's not getting a normal job. Like we don't, we don't know where this is going. Yeah, sure. Um, my, my parents are super supportive. Um, so I'm really grateful for that. Um, and I also come from a pretty musical family. And so they kind of, and, they kind sorry, of, sorry to interrupt, but I was just gonna say one thing, like, I think that a lot of parents think that they're being supportive by not supporting that because they want to see. So like, just if anyone's listening and your parents have been that like, I think your parents were looking out for what they thought were your best interests. I don't think it's that your parents aren't supportive, but sorry, my little soapbox. No, yeah, that's that's a really good point. And I think that's important for people to know too. Um, I think uh, my parents have probably gone back and forth. Um, they they really they really tried to push um, the percussion director, like, you know, you should definitely be a Texas percussion director or uh, elementary school music teacher um, because I, uh, I think that they they know that I like working with kids. Um, my parents both work with kids too, kind of in their uh, professions. And so that's that was just something that was uh, uh, just like common in our, our family. I have, um, you know, aunts, uncles, siblings that are teachers. Um, and so I think they just kind of thought that I would also be a teacher too. But uh, they also knew that I really liked performing and they've just kind of seen that evolve um, as I've grown up. So they've, they've been pretty supportive of it. Um, so I thankfully I haven't really had, had that working against me, which has been really nice. I've been really lucky in that sense. I have a student now who, um, I think actually today, he finally finished it up. He switched from music ed to a bachelor of arts because he's like, I don't, I don't think I really want to teach. I was like, that's fine. And he was like, so you signed all the paperwork? He's like, yeah. Do you check with your advisor? He's like, yeah. And he's like, do you check with your parents? And they're like, he was like, yeah, they're not so sure about it. And I'm just like, ah, Jesus. That's always the, that's always a hurdle for so many people. I did the same. I did the same thing. I, I started out as a music ed major as well. And then I switched to um, a BA for like a semester or two. Um, and yeah, my, my parents kind of said the same thing. They, they didn't know what that meant, they, but they were, they were nice enough and understanding enough to be like, I'm not sure what all of that means, but I know you'll figure it out. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is, uh, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like it's, it's all fine and it's not a struggle. I mean, it definitely is like financially this, um, like being a, a freelancer, um, I mean, like, as, as you know, it's not, it's not like financially stable all of the time. Especially um, when there's a pandemic that hits. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And so it's just, it's a lot of, uh, you make a lot of sacrifices, but you do in any other profession, you know, it's, it's all about finding a balance. Um, and so, no, there's not a ton of money, like just to be totally transparent, like we know there's not a ton of money in this, um, in this industry, in this business. Um, but you can also make it work like it is possible to make it work. And what's really cool about um, kind of going down this uh, like midway entertainment or commercial drumming entertainment, uh, whatever word you want to call it. What's cool about it is that you get to work with people from different uh, disciplines. So 
you get to work with a lot of freelance dancers and a lot of actors and a lot of acrobats. Um, and they all kind of live the same, the same life. And so it's really cool to see that you're not the only one trying to hustle your ass off, you know, to make this work because you uh, at times can be surrounded by people that do what you do just in a different discipline. And they totally get this life. You know, that's one of the reasons why I uh, finally like moved out to New York because uh, that's where like my people are, you know, like people that do the same thing and they get that kind of lifestyle. Um, so that's really nice and it feels really unifying. Um, and it's just nice to be understood in that way too. And I just, I was just going to mention, so so the episode doesn't end up as eight hours long, but all of us in the chat, you won't be able to hear this or see this if you're listening to this episode, but all of us in the chat are like sharing our stories of like, oh yeah, this is what my grandmother thinks I do. <laughs> so uh, yeah, just, just I think anyone in a creative field, unless your parents very directly did exactly what you did. I don't, I don't think that parents really understand. And one of my favorite examples is, uh, and I've told this on the podcast before, but uh, Ed, Ed Catmull, who was one of the founders of Pixar, uh, you know, we know what Pixar is. It's like a household name now, but um, if you were in the 70s or 80s and your parents were at a cocktail party telling someone else, oh yeah, our son does, uh, it's, he makes like animation with uh, computers. I, I don't really, I don't really get it. It's, uh, I don't, he says it's going to be big someday. <laughs> that's like, and that's Pixar, you know, but yeah, that, that company floundered and lost Steve Jobs millions of dollars for, for many years. So, um, yeah, you're, you'll never walk alone in so many words. Yeah. You just tell your grandma drums. I'm, I'm playing drums. Like that's, that's it. <laughs> Everything's fine. I'm playing drums. <laughs> that's actually my go-to for anything is I just teach drums. <laughs> drums. That's all. <laughs> so we were talking about playing uh, a fair bit um, in the acting portion, not to circle back too far, but I remember I read on JMMD's website, and I also remember seeing it on like the Blue Man Group audition for the acting portion. There were, it was like, you know, do a short five to six minute scene of doing things like trying to get a six, an imaginary six-year-old to laugh or or pretend you're swimming in shark infested waters or act like you're an alien and you've discovered the camera and you're trying to figure out what it is, things like that. Um, yeah, is there any, I guess, is there any way to prepare for that aspect of the job? Because I know, of course, there's so many drum corps folks coming around that there's so many good hands. Is there any advice on how to, how to practice that that skill set, that tough one of, of the acting portion before you get to the gig, obviously? Yeah, that's a really good question. And, um, you know, I can only speak, uh, you know, to my experience that I had. And, you know, when I went into uh, my first tour with Blast and, you know, we had acting sessions every morning um, during the six week rehearsal period. I mean, I was as green as could be because I had come from, you know, I was classically trained. I was getting into the entertainment, um, like, you know, commercial entertainment uh, industry. I, I had been, um, you know, in that in that world for a couple of years already, but not long enough to to know everything there is to know about the theater world. So I was just as I mean, anyone you ask that was on that tour with me will tell you I was just as green as could be when it comes to that. So um, I I didn't know what to practice or what to prepare um, when it came to that. But I, I had a lot of great um, 
great choreographers and um, like acting teachers that were that were there at Blast that kind of helped me along the way. But I will say what helped me going into my first tour with a show like Blast, um, it, it helped me to change my mindset from viewing the musical execution as the ceiling or pinnacle of a performance um, to that same level of musical ed, uh, execution, but seeing it as the foundation, like in which everything is built off of. So still the same level of, you know, doing what we do at a high level, but just seeing that as the ground floor and everything else, there's so much more to be built on top of that. Um, usually I feel like a lot of us see it as the other way around. Like once you've executed, um, you know, your, your performance um, at a high level, you've, you've made it, you've done it. Um, but for, you know, when you think about the entertainment side, that is just, you know, it's implied that you, you can do those things when you walk into the gig and it's just everything on top of that. Um, so I think definitely making that uh, mindset shift is really helpful because you know that there's just so much more to build um, off of your performance. Um, and the main goal isn't just to, to play the right notes and right rhythms and to play it well, you know, that's just the very first step. And um, that is how I've approached every gig since then. And that made a really big difference for me. Yeah, I remember Dennis Fisher, who was one of the band directors at North Texas said, don't ever give yourself credit for playing the right notes. It's like, right, yeah, like if I if I show up to a form, performance, I'm I'm going to expect that you're going the performer will play the right notes. Like I'm I'm not paying for a ticket for wrong notes. So exactly. <laughs> that's yeah, that's just doing the bare minimum. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, that's good. I had not heard of that, but that's a that's a new favorite quote. I think. Hey, uh, so quick question. So you've played in Blast and and all these groups and and done quite a bit. And now you've kind of moved, I don't want to say up the food chain, but you've moved into sort of an assistant director position with JM Music Designs. Um, and we've talked about what it is to be like a performer and how to play in these groups. But can you kind of speak to the organizational side? Like, like if you're directing a show or a performance, like what goes into organizing the ensemble? Do you have to contract everyone, source music, do choreography, et cetera? Yeah, um, I think every, every client wants something different. So um, a lot of it is just, you know, giving uh, your client whatever, whatever they have or are imagining in their head and just making sure that um, you're delivering that. But um, I know for JMMD, we, uh, we cast everyone. So we have a, um, a person who's in charge of casting. And um, sometimes we have to cast locally. Um, just because, you know, the certain contract might not offer housing for that contract period. So we need to find um, local talent or sometimes we're able to to just do a wide casting call, um, you know, countrywide uh, casting call if, if the gig um, allows for that. So there's a lot that goes into casting. Um, I'm not in charge of casting, but I've seen um, seen how the process works and it's just like a never ending job. Um, but yeah, so we, we cast for the shows and um, we have someone who's in charge of uh, just kind of like oversees the different shows themselves. And then we have assistant directors like myself that kind of come in and look more at like big picture um, and just different pictures throughout the show. And we 
we basically just have the cast. We know we have a rough idea of what we want the show to be, depending on what the client wants. Like right now, we're working on a show that has four drummers and they are all um, making or brewing like craft beer in the show, but they don't use heat to brew their beer. They use their beats. And so it's just a drumming show where we drum on barrels and kegs and mugs, um, the whole nine yards. So we have an idea of how that storyline works. Um, it, you know, it's a 20 minute show. So we have the whole package ready to go. But when we have the actual cast members come in, um, it's really fun because we can play off of who they are and use their personality to, to shape that specific show. I think this is like the third or fourth Brewbeat show that we've put up, but every one of them are different because we have different people in the cast. So it's really cool to see what each person brings to the table. Um, but yeah, we go through um, we go through a rehearsal process. Sometimes it's really short and it's a really fast turnaround. So we have to shove as much music and information into the cast members' brains um, as we can in like a sh very short amount of time. Sometimes we have a little bit longer, but um, after that we will do um, like a, a dress rehearsal where we basically see if we have uh, like the stamp of approval from our client. And once we get that, we help them open the show. So they go through their opening day and then we leave after that. And the cast takes it from there. So I'm basically just there for the rehearsal process. And then I, I set them, set them free and they're off, off to do it on their own. So that's kind of a short rundown on how, how a typical uh, show with JMMD works. Oh, it's, yeah. it's kind of just a madhouse the whole time. There's just a lot of, a lot of running around a lot of uh, like our company builds a lot of our sets. Um, Justin Mabry and uh, Clay Bradshaw, they both um, Justin started the company and Clay hopped on board very shortly after. And they basically build um, all of the sets on their own, which I think is super wild and and really cool to see. But they're usually just running around like crazy people trying to make sure that we have everything we need for the show and we're getting all of our shipments in stuff we need to order. Um, you know, they're the liaison from our cast, uh, cast members to our client. So they're making sure that everything's, everything's good to go, um, with that relationship. So it's just a lot of, a lot of running around, a lot of moving pieces, um, all up until opening day. And then we can all breathe for a second. Nice. So like the SeaWorld one down in, uh, I think Austin recently or San Antonio. Yeah, um, San Antonio. Yeah. Was that? Is that an example of like a local call that they yeah. couldn't have passing? Yeah, totally. Um, that was uh, that was a show, yeah, where we had to cast local talent, and um, that one was a that was a really interesting process because we reached out to like as a company we reached out to 150 uh, drummers, 150 people all in the San Antonio area, and only four were like available and could make it work with the parameters we were given. And so that was a really wild experience because um, yeah, we just, you know, there's so much talent in Texas, but uh, it was it was just hard to find people that were available for the gig or, you know, could do the gig or, you know, whatever the reason was. Um, so sometimes when we have to hire locally, it can be a little tough uh, just, you know, given the parameters um, that the client gives us. But we were able to make it work, and the four of them worked, you know, that we did hire for the show. 
uh, did a great job. They just, they were just like totally in it, in it to win it. So. That's awesome. So you're, you mentioned this earlier, but anyone that's watching, Kaylee's in a hotel currently. Um, can you tell us about what you're currently working on? Yeah, right now I'm in Charlotte for another um, JMMD show. So we're helping um, put up an entertainment show here at uh, one of the theme parks. So we're in the thick of rehearsals right now and um, they'll open their show next week. But um, other than that, um, when I go back to New York next week, um, I guess the, the big project right now is doing some work with um, the Sabian Education Network. And we're working on a bunch of um, like, it's kind of like a mini series of educational videos. So um, that's gonna get started uh, pretty immediately when I get back. So I'm really excited to start those videos. And it's, uh, it's essentially just gonna be geared towards um, younger percussionists that don't necessarily have all of the resources um, you know, readily available to them. So uh, it's kind of like a back to basics um, percussion video series that Sabian, um, is starting, so I'm really excited to start working on that. Nice. Yeah, is anybody yeah. else here Sabian besides Kaylee and I? Oh, Tracy is. What about you, Ben? Get out. How do I, I am. Un I am unaffiliated. Out? HR is going to come after Ben now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. HR is after Ben for not being on Sabian team. Um, yeah, yeah. Sabian's Mark Reynolds and, and that crew is. Mark's yeah. done a lot of phenomenal work since he took over there. So. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he's awesome. Yeah, he's great. I think we've covered a lot of good stuff. <laughs> it's really good. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's like uncharted waters for uh, most people. Um, well, it's like interesting. We're actually doing in our studio classes right now, we're doing career things. Hmm. And so one of the things that we were going to be talking about soon was careers outside of the normal way of looking at careers. Because we all know that even teaching and perform and like orchestral perform performing are not exactly steady gigs at this point necessarily <laughs> yeah those jobs are few and far between like you know especially in the orchestral world like it's uh you know a really great gig and um like really highly respected uh, but at the same time just like you know college jobs there's just not enough you know not enough jobs to go around so um it's cool to be able to talk about uh, other pathways that are just as fulfilling to a lot of people um, and, you know, more of, uh, you know, the style that people are interested in. Um, both, you know, both avenues or every avenue is is great and has great things about it. Um, but it's, it's great that we can offer when we're in a position to offer more jobs for more people, you know. Right. Well, I know like where here, where we're located, we're right here, like where Muscle Shoals and the whole recording scene is and stuff like that. So my students do come in at least a lot of times looking at that area as well, like their own songwriting or recording or whatever becomes a big thing for them also. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a path too. And there are so many other paths that stem from that one. So it's, it's never ending if you're willing to just like dip your toes in the water and just see see what's out there, you know. Especially if you're if you're interested in traveling and you're you're willing to travel, um, playing music, getting paid to play music and travel and see places you've never seen. Like for me, there's nothing better than that, you know. And also, like just to 
lastly, I guess just to throw in there, it's really great to play, to be able to be in a position where you can play uh, percussion and be, especially like as a female percussionist, you, you get to play for um, people that, you know, there might be a couple of younger uh, girls who are interested in playing percussion or they didn't know that they were, but then, you know, when they saw a show with uh, someone performing that looks like them, you just never know who is in the audience. So that's really what I, I really love about uh, playing for for non-musicians and non-percussionists is because you might just be in the right place at the right time to inspire, you know, someone who uh, hasn't seen anyone do what they want to do that looks like them. You know, you could be that jumping off point um, or that inspiration for that person. So that's my favorite part about it. Yeah, I think that representation aspect of it is huge. It's so important, yeah. And that's uh, why I'm, I'm so excited for organizations like Girls March, you know, for example. Um, it's, it's just a great, a great way to, uh, you know, just to show younger girls that you can do this. This, this can be a thing. And it's, it's really great that you are interested in drumming, even if you're the only, the only girl in your program, you know, back at home, or if you feel like you're outnumbered, um, there's a lot of power in community. And so I think groups like, or organizations like Girls March, um, they're really uh, changing the game in a really, really positive way. So. Yeah, Rachel's done amazing work with getting that out there, so. Yeah, absolutely. We've had, we've, we've talked to Rachel, now Kaylee. Did you teach with Paige Durr at Girls March in Texas? Yeah, yeah, I did. I, um, myself and uh, Jamise, um, her, her company or brand name is uh, Poetic Beats. She, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, her and I um, kind of tackled the online portion of the camp, which was great that, they're, that they uh, offered the online portion um, for folks that couldn't make it to Texas um, but wanted to attend. Um, so yeah, Paige was in Texas and I think she helped, uh, make sure that the entire camp just ran smoothly. And I heard that she killed it and did a great job. Um, but yeah, Jamisa and I were on the online zoom portion of it. Yeah. And it went great last summer. I'm really excited for this summer too. It's going to be awesome. Nice. Well, yeah, Kaylee, thanks for hanging out with us. Um, thanks yeah, it's been great. Me. Yeah. It's cool to. Yeah, we've said it before, but yeah, hear about, you know, what else you can do that doesn't fit the the standard norm of, yeah, of what degrees say they can offer sometimes, but, and, yeah, yeah, totally. and also, I yeah, love talking about this stuff. Yeah, 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 thank you, and thanks, Tracy, for, for stepping in, um, good time. Thanks for having me. Yeah, anytime, anytime. Um, well, cool. Well, hey, we'll wrap. Me too, and, Ben. Oh, yeah, uh, well, you know. I, I don't get thanks from Caleb these days. <laughs> you know it's hr is coming yeah <laughs> hr is yeah expect a letter in the mail um it's not a good letter i uh, love this relationship that yeah have. yeah i love it all right we'll catch everybody else next time on episode 325 wow